Welcome into The Looking Glass, the podcast for speculative poets and poetry lovers alike. Join me, Jasmine Arch, on a journey into a world where nothing is what you expect it to be. Together with speculative poets from across the world and from all levels of experience, we'll be exploring the magic behind this fascinating genre and hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Hello, Looking Glass Travellers. We are finally here. It is a fraptious day of August 1st, and today is our very, very, very first episode. And to celebrate the launch day of this project, I have been somewhat absorbed by in the last few months. We're having not one, but two episodes today. So when this one is over, you either have another one to listen to, or something that you can save for later, if you don't have time right now. But first things first, I had so much fun talking to Cicelyn Smith, who you will find out more about shortly, and I hope you enjoy the interview as much as Cicelyn and I did. So let's get to it. Cicelyn Smith is a speculative fiction writer and editor who likes playing pretend, playing games and playing with words. She calls Madison, Wisconsin her home and enjoys the company of three cats, some humans, a few frogs and an assortment of cool bacteria. Cicelyn has been known to crochet tentacles, write stories and poems at odd hours and gallivant. She is occasionally dismayed by the lack of secret passages in her house. She has been published in Electric, Velocipede, Flash Fiction Online, Strange Horizons, Starline and Cthulhu Haiku 2. She is currently a submissions editor for Uncanny Magazine and helps out at Giganotaurus as well. In addition to her wordy work, Sislin is a co-founder and secretary of the Dream Foundry, a non-profit dedicated to helping beginners across the speculative arts. And I personally know her as an infinitely kind and patient soul who always has words of encouragement or commiseration at the ready. It's as if she's got them secret about her person in secret scabbards up her sleeves and strapped to her calves like some badass knife-throwing pirate. And she owns the most awesome hats you've ever seen. Hi Sislin, what's up in your poetic life? Gosh, that intro, that was an amazing intro. Thank you. Um, So in my poetic life right now, I am currently uh, engaged in writing 30 poems in 30 days. uh, The way you do, not in April, because April was a bit of a mess this year for me. Um, But just a little bit late. And that's been fun. I bet, I bet. And I mean... With Flights of Foundry, the con that the Dream Foundry basically organized again this year, I can imagine a bit of chaos. And I'm totally excited to see what poems you come up with. Um, So you write both fiction and poetry, but which of the two came first for you? Um, Honestly, kind of neither. Uh, When I was a very tiny little Sislin, my first book ever was a book of pig jokes. So I started with comedy um, rather than fiction or poetry, although I think that that jokes are a kind of poetry in their own way, if you squint and look at them just right. Um, so yes, terrible, terrible pig puns uh, were, were my beginning. <laughs> well, that sounds fascinating. Um, and how old, because a tiny, tiny sizzling is not very specific, how old were you when you then started actually writing poetry? I think I wrote my first poem when I was seven or eight years old. Um, I was I was very young and I've always been drawn to just writing things down that struck my fancy and playing with words and language. Um, 
So it was it was a long time ago. For for reference, I am how old am I? 44, I think. Yeah, I'm 44. <laughs> so it was a bit ago. Okay, okay. So do any of those poems of eight-year-old Cislin still exist? Uh probably technically. Um my dad is very inclined to keep things and I don't doubt that he has got a, a collection of itty bitty Cislin stuff, including some really terrible, let's be honest, uh, childhood <laughs> poetry. Um, well, if they ever do come up, I mean, you don't have to show everyone, but give me a peek, won't you? <laughs> I'm really curious about that. I Fair. Fair. <laughs> I, I will. Okay. I, I do have some of my early stuff, like preteen and teen but i don't have like the very beginning okay stuff. and the preteen and teen stuff is bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> so. i think that's that for everyone um and do you remember if there was a certain thing that got you started or that triggered you to writing that poem or another poem that you remember for from very early on in your uh in your career as a poet um I think what actually got me started was the realization that poetry is kind of everywhere. Uh, my dad, who raised me, has a huge music collection, right? And I was listening to music from a very, very young age, like headphones on, just jamming out to everything. And I started actually listening to the words, and I realized that they were poetry, because lyrics are poetry. and that kind of blew my my little mind and i was like oh it's everywhere so so that's sort of what got me started that is very cool um and has your idea of what poetry is or its purpose changed for you at all oh certainly certainly um there was a pretty big shift uh in college actually which was when i realized that poems don't have to rhyme and that I can I can just play a lot more that I don't have to be bound by form and I can I can just do whatever I darn well please. Um, and there's been a few other shifts since then as I've as I've grown up um, where I've learned that I can just have a poetic practice. I don't have to be struck by the muse. I don't have to have a, a thing that gets stuck in my head and that I must get out, which is how I used to do it. I, I can actually just pick a prompt and write a poem and make the muse come to me. Um, so that's been good. I bet. Um, and do you have a favorite between fiction and poetry? Of course, being on a poetry podcast, there's really only one answer you can give here, <laughs> but do you? Um, well, to be honest, I don't have a favorite because I am terrible with favorites. If you ask me for my favorite anything, I'll say, oh, well, this is my favorite. And so is this. And so is this. And so is this. Like, I will, <laughs> I will give you like 10 favorites. <laughs> so I love them okay. both. And they do different <laughs> things. And you can combine them. And that's, that's one of the best things. Um, so that is very, very true. Um, and it's the combinations that can give some 
super interesting results sometimes. Um, so do all of your speculative pieces or do all of your pieces rather contain speculative elements or do you also write more realist or literary pieces? Um, almost everything that I write has at least some speculative element. Um, I do write some things which I consider a little more personal, mm -hmm. where I've I've tackled something that's that's in my life, some emotion or some happening, and I've put a very little bit of speculative spin on it, but. I don't generally share those because I feel like the, the serial numbers aren't filed off very well. And I really enjoy telling more speculative stories with my poems. Um, so there's some literary stuff or realist stuff, but, but not a ton. Um, I do a little bit of everything though, to be honest. Okay. And do you like, do you decide ahead of time, I'm going to write a sci-fi poem, a fantasy poem, or a more horror-themed poem, or do you just start writing and see what your subconscious comes up with? Uh, why not both? <laughs> why not? <laughs> so I definitely do a little bit of both. Like sometimes when I look at a prompt, because I often work from prompts, even when I don't have to, because prompts help to constrain the universe of possibilities for me a little bit. Sometimes when I look at a prompt, I'm like, oh, well, obviously now it's time to retell Rumpelstiltskin, uh, but with a, on a space station or what have you, right? Um, <laughs> so sometimes it's just obvious to me what should be done. And other times I, I look at a prompt and I'm like, well, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know where I'm going with this. So I'm literally just going to open up a document, close my eyes and put my fingers on the keyboard and type and see what comes out. And then, you know, I'll do that for like five minutes and see what happens. Right. Um, well, that's fascinating. And is there like, can you tell a difference when you've tried one thing or the other? Do you like recognize which poem evolved in which way afterwards? I definitely recognize the difference. Um, I don't think other people do generally, um, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> okay. It's not something I tend to advertise. It's like, well, this one came up because I, I just knew what I was doing. And this one I made up as I went along, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you. So. <laughs> totally fair. Um, so do you write form poems at all? Or are you strictly a free form poet? I'm not going to say I never write form poetry. Every once in a while, I'll challenge myself um, or I'll... I'll decide that, that this is, is just better bound, that this particular concept needs to be bound in a form in order to for me to express it well. But that is very rare. I'm like, I hate absolutes, but I'm like 90% freeform poet. And like any particular preference for forms or not really? Not really. I mean, I do, I, I'm not a big fan of like, very rigid forms, for instance, even when I when I do a form, I want something that's squishier. <laughs> right? <laughs> Squishy is a great way to describe it too. Well, if if I if I use something that's too rigid, then I end up feeling like the form is dictating the poem to me instead of the poem being fit into a container that suits it. 
And that ends up making me grumpy. And a grumpy poet is a poet who does not write, in my experience. So, <laughs> very true, very true. Um, I think, considering the variety of poetry one finds out there, whether it's speculative or not, it's a bit of a stretch to say there's one thing every poem has in common. And even if we can pin down an almost common denominator, there's always going to be outliers. But is there something in your own poems that they always have in common or which is at least a recurring feature? Um, I can I can spot similarities and I can definitely tell that there are a lot of themes that I come back to over and over again. Fairy tales, for instance. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very, very fond of fairy tales. Oh, we have that in common. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all, really. Um, anything else? Uh, there's there's a kind of rhythm to my poetry, which I notice a lot. It's not something that I could easily quantify. But like, if I read five of my poems in a row, I'm like, oh, yes, I've got that same kind of cadence. And then it narrows down at the end to like a three, a two and a one line, like, one word line at the end. And that's the thing that I keep coming back to. And when I notice myself doing it, I'm like, ah, must be contrary. And now I'll do something different. <laughs> As one does. But naturally, that's that's kind of what I fall into. Awesome. And so um, how important is community to you, both to Sislin, the lovely person with the kick-ass hat collection, and to Sislin, the poet and writer? How does your community um, influence you as a creative? Oh gosh, what a question. Uh, especially as a, as a kind of community organizer, which I am. Um, which is why I'm asking. Yeah, I see you there. <laughs> I, I have a hard time pinning down what community means to me because in some ways it means everything. Even though writing is a very solo exercise for most people, including for me, you know, I'm sitting alone in my room doing my thing. Often, as I said, with my eyes closed, I'm not even looking at anything. I'm just typing and hoping. It's There's this backbone of people there who can read my work, who can react to my work, who can give me suggestions, who can tell me where to send it, who are creating markets for it, who can edit it, who can... And all of these things are like an ecosystem. And so even though you're isolated, and I'm isolated in, in each in our own way, the ecosystem is still there. And to, to go all Simon and Garfunkel, no man is an island, right? There's, there's no, I am a rock, I am an island. Um, <laughs> we're, we're not alone. And that's beautiful, even though we are alone, and it's a solo act. And collaboration is one of the most fun things that I can think of to do. Um, and I try to collaborate in lots of different ways and in lots of different things. So how important is it? Yes, <laughs> basically, it's, it's yes important. <laughs> um, but as for what role it plays, it plays so many different roles and community can be there and lifting you up and giving you the the nutrition that you need to thrive, as it were, right? It's the grass and the air and the world around you. Um, and that's, so that's what community is to me. It's 
it's everything. It's the environment in which I thrive. That is something anyone who comes into the Dream Foundry's Discord server, which we'll of course link to in the episode notes, can tell from the minute you interact, you're like, I don't know, you, you, people respond to you and you respond to them in a way that feels so natural and nurturing and it's amazing to watch. Um, and basically the reason I wanted to ask is because of course, as one of the co-founders of the Dream Foundry. Um, well, I couldn't not ask you, but also because community is very important to me as well. So it's something that lies very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had any advice to like um, a poet who is struggling to find a community other than come and find the Dream Foundry, do you have any other tips you could give? Um, I would say that you don't have to have a community of writers necessarily a community of readers is just as important um if you're if you're struggling to find people to to support your work remember that that readers are just as important and you can go to your friends you can go to your family even if you don't think that they're really into poetry they're still going to have something to say and their reactions will will tell you more about your relationship and about your work. And that kind of vulnerability is a little bit scary. But if you're looking to publish your work anyway, you have to imagine that lots of different people will be reading it. So why not start sharing early and share with the people who like you? Um, So you don't have to go far afield looking for community. You certainly can, and you can come to the Dream Foundry server and find a gosh large community, including that of speculative poets. But you can start closer to home, and hopefully you'll find people there giving you good advice or any reaction at all, because even a little bit of feedback can help keep that creative engine going. Absolutely. Um, I can only second that. And I mean, as someone whose native language is not English, um, so it's a bit tricky sharing my poetry with my family and friends, like online communities like the Dream Foundry can do so much for you. So just try to reach out and find whoever you can. Um, I will link to the Dream Foundry's website and Discord community in the episode notes, as I said, and I'll also link to the little Discord server we're building around this podcast. Um, It's quite small, but we're hoping to grow it. And I mean, reach out and most of us don't bite, usually. Yes. In my case, I need, yeah, in my case, I need to be caffeinated, but (laughs) I usually don't bite. So is there a poet or writer, they can be living or dead, um, whose influence on your own writing you can easily identify? Oh gosh, this is, this is tricky. Um, I think in part, Joni Mitchell, uh, she's, she's a folk singer and writer from the sixties and seventies. Um, I mean, I think she's still singing now. I don't, I don't know that much about her, her personal life, but her lyrics and her poetry, uh, strongly influenced me when I was very little. Uh, she was one of those that I, I listened to and went, oh, I get it now. Um, so Joni Mitchell, um, probably Shel Silverstein, uh, because Shel Silverstein loves to tell silly stories and see things from a different perspective. And 
that was always fun. Um, there's definitely more, but those are the two names I'm going to drop right now. <laughs> okay, well, they're excellent suggestions. Um, and I will see if I can find something to link to again in the episode notes. Now, if there was any poet, dead or alive, you could have drinks with, who would it be and what are you drinking? I would take Sappho out for bubble tea with me. <laughs> oh God, can I call? <laughs> Absolutely. We would get all the best gossip and and just, I think bubble tea would really impress Sappho in a number of ways. It's a very tactile kind of experience that I think she'd enjoy. And I, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is a rather side note, but if you're into Sappho, have you heard of the Sweet Bitter podcast? I have not. I can totally advise them. This is like, it's a podcast who did a whole season around Sappho because Sweet Bitter is something that comes from her poems, I think in some translation or other. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they, um, they recite a fragment, a Sappho fragment. Then they like add context and they talk about... Um, about the recovery and the study of Sappho fragments, about papyrology, um, about the ethics around papyri. Um, and what they also do, and I love that bit the most, is that they turn, um, they bring Sappho's poetry and Sappho's fragments to life in the way Sappho originally meant them, and they turn them into music again. Ooh. And I just love that i will add this link of course again in the episode notes and i can advise this to anyone um it's a really great podcast it's not it's like bite size it's not too long it's not too short it's just perfect like potato chips you can always have one more that sounds amazing my my background in college is is in classics so i study classical civilizations so anything from the ancient history world is is right up my alley and that sounds like a lot of fun yeah, it definitely is. And they do like, they don't just do um, like classical Greek lyre music, but they also turn it into contemporary music. And like, yeah, it's so good. So, so good. I will definitely share that link. Um, so this I have to ask as well. Which of the hats in your collection is your favorite? Oh gosh, you've asked me a favorite question again. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I had to, I had to. Can I give more than one answer? <laughs> uh, so I have I have a hat that I wear the most often in winter, um, and it is a frog hat, and it's nice and warm, and it has big googly eyes up on top, and it is extremely comfortable and also extremely silly, um, and that is probably my most worn hat, and so probably a most practical hat sort of um so so that probably falls under favorites but i also really 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 like my pink glittery monster hat oh i love <laughs> that one too yeah definitely that should that, that it, yeah that deserves a place absolutely it has, it has a lot of character um but i try to have a hat for every occasion uh, <laughs> so well you can never have too many hats Exactly. Especially when you wear as many hats as I do, <laughs> literally and metaphorically. So, <laughs> Well, all jokes aside, um, one last question. If you could give one piece of advice to younger Cislin, listening to music, like getting that aha moment and writing her first poem, what would it be? 
keep writing. It's going to get even more fun and you can express yourself however you want. You don't have to follow rules. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. You can just play like poetry is play and you should have fun with it. That is just the best advice ever and it applies to totally everyone. Fiction writers, poets and non-fiction writers alike, just play. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Um, so, oh, oh, one more thing. Yeah. You, you told me before we started that I was going to provide a prompt for people and I, I, I labored on this one. So I've got a prompt for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So your prompt is to make an abstract concept concrete and write a poem about it. Like, what's the shape of justice or the smell of sorrow or the form of glee? Oh. So there you go. Go forth and poem. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So Cislin, like, beat me to it because this is going to be like a little segment that we will be having on every episode where our guest provides a prompt for the readers to have fun with. So definitely do have fun and let yourself play, as Cislin already said, and come tell us about it on our Discord server. We can't wait to hear. Um, Cislin has a treat for us um, because she's going to share one of her poems and I'm sure I'm going to love it and I'm sure everyone is going to, so go for it. Okay, well this poem is called Move. Uh, it first appeared in Remixed magazine in 2016 and I think you'll recognize some very Cislin things about it. So, Move. It doesn't take a curse a missed invitation, a witch or bad fairy. You just need something sharp, something pointed to let yourself out. The trick is in the pricking of a finger or a thumb with intent to move, to be different, to change. The princess understood this, standing in front of the spinning wheel, examining the spindle, considering her options. And when her animus shifted from soft skin to hard wood, she found new freedom, spun her wheel, clomped carefully down the tower steps and out into the world to spin new stories. So when the girl stands in the shadow of the cactus, vibrant with life, it seems an easy choice. A moment of pain, a bit of blood, and then she is filled with water, drinking in the sunny air, home to chirping little birds. So moved, she walks slowly over sandy stones, roots trailing earth, a passing regret quickly forgotten, succulents have no need of boots. Arms up to the sky, jubilant, into the desert, on a new journey. Wow, I really, really enjoyed that so much. Thank you, that was awesome. And thank you for being my very first guest on this podcast. Well, thank you for having me and for starting this awesome new project of yours. I'm very excited for it. Well, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what the future brings. I was, when I started thinking about the whole project, it was, oh, I shouldn't do this. I really can't take on. But, you know, once the seed was sown, it just insisted on growing. <laughs> couldn't stop myself. So yeah, there you go. Um, until our next episode, this is me and Cislin saying bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.
So this is your friendly neighbourhood jazz again. Cislin and I were having so much fun chatting that I forgot the final question and it's an important one, um, which is where could our listeners find out more about you or your work? So I will include links to Cislin's website and Twitter handle in the episode notes. And of course, you can also find her on the Dream Foundry Discord server. And as I already mentioned, a link, of course, will be included to that as well. If you enjoyed this interview, do hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And please consider sharing it on social media, because spreading the word is the best thing you can do right now to support Into the Looking Glass. Anyway, thank you for being here, and we will talk again soon. Bye bye.